Hello, and welcome to Lion and Mouse Commentary. We're your hosts, Holland and Tori. Two best friends as different as a lion and a mouse. Today, we are reviewing The Amazing Spider-Man, the 2012 film, and we will be ranking it on an objective scale of 0 to 10, with only two points allotted for personal taste. Feel free to agree, disagree, or just learn about something new. Just be sure to tread lightly. There are spoilers ahead. Go ahead and catch the intro. All right, welcome to the Lion's Den. For our new listeners, we'll be breaking down the scoring system by category as we go, but the full breakdown is also available on our website. So let's get started. So today, I chose this topic. We are going to be reviewing The Amazing Spider-Man. This is actually the first episode where our topic is blind for at least one of us. It is blind for me. I had never watched either of the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies before prepping for this, so... We sat down and we watched it, and I did not know. I went in completely blind. Right. So, however, it is familiar for me, and I do enjoy, as a caveat, I, or excuse me, as a disclaimer, I enjoy this film very much, so I wanted to share it with Tori. So this is, this is the original intention of our podcast. It's kind of exciting. So To our, show things to each other. Right, and then talk about them. So, The Amazing Spider-Man was is a 2012 film produced by Columbia Pictures and Marvel Entertainment and is distributed by Sony Pictures. So for those of you who are kind of new to the Marvel Cinematic Universe or familiar with the Tom Holland series, just a brief little history lesson, Spider-Man as a character in the film industry is technically owned by Columbia slash Sony Pictures, which is why the Tobey Maguire film and the Andrew Garfield films came prior to Tom Holland's appearance in the quote-unquote Marvel Cinematic Universe, distributed by Marvel Entertainment. So this is the official reboot of the Sam Raimi trilogy, which is the film that included Tobey Maguire as Mm Spider-Man. So filming for this movie, The Amazing Spider-Man, started in 2010 and was released June 13th, 2012 in Tokyo and July 3rd, 2012 in the United States. It was directed by Mark Webb. It's starring Andrew Garfield, Emma Stone... Reese Ifans, I hope I pronounced his name correctly, Dennis Leary, Campbell Scott, Irfan Khan, I'm not sure how to say his name, um, Martin Sheen, and Sally Field. Interestingly, it was the final American film to be scored by James Horner and released in his lifetime. It was released three years before his death in June 2015. Interesting. So he is a pretty well-known film composer. Right. Um, the budget for this film was 200 to 230 million U.S. dollars. The film was a box office success. It grossed $758 million worldwide, becoming the seventh highest grossing film of 2012. Nice. So interestingly, even though this film... Yeah, it typically doesn't get a lot of love, but it was very successful financially. So brief synopsis. Peter Parker, played by Andrew Garfield, is an outcast high schooler who was abandoned by his parents as a boy, leaving him to be raised by his Uncle Ben, played by Martin Sheen, and his Aunt May, played by Sally Field. Like most teenagers, Peter's trying to figure out who he is and how he got to be the person he is today. Peter is also finding his way with his first high school crush, Gwen Stacy, played by Emma Stone, and together they struggle with love, commitment, and secrets. 
As Peter discovers a mysterious briefcase that belonged to his father, he begins a quest to understand his parents' disappearance, leading him directly to Oscorp and the lab of Dr. Kirk Connors, played by Risa Fons, his father's former partner. As Spider-Man, Peter will make life-altering choices to use his powers and shape his destiny to become a hero. So that is the synopsis uh, listed by Columbia Pictures. Moving forward, there will be plenty of spoilers. So if you haven't seen this film and want to see it without any spoilers... Now is the time to pause and go do. Exactly. So I'm going to let Tori kick it off with our first category. Okay, so for movies, the first category is plot and story delivery. We have a possible two points to a lot for this, and I'm giving it one and a half points. I think it's overall very fantastic, but I did have a few hangups. Um, I think there are a few cliche things. Um, at the very beginning of the movie, you get the cliche rain equals sad. Um, so I was like, okay, well, you know, I get it. They're just trying to set up the, the I guess, uh, context of, you know, our hero, uh, you know, Peter. Um, I do think one thing that's really good about this is I think this felt a little bit more like a mystery superhero movie instead of just like beat em up bad guy superhero movie. And I appreciated that being a mystery lover that I am. I do like when we're not given all of the bad guy answers right at the beginning and that it, it's kind of a slow reveal. You realize that there are more pieces to the puzzle than you originally thought, that sort of thing. And they include a lot of those elements in the story. And I, I, really appreciated that. I thought the humor was very good. Um, there's a really good balance between like business and fun throughout the whole thing. Um, you don't feel like the heavy moments cloud the fun moments that come after them. And you don't feel like the fun moments kind of spoil the weight of the serious moments that come after those. And I think it's a very nice sort of like ebb and flow in, in that way. Um, I think the pace is, is pretty decent through the whole movie. There were never any points where I felt like I was struggling to keep up or that I was ready to move on. Um, so I thought the pace was overall very good. I do think that it might be slightly cliche, but it does make for a good motivator in a film is guilt and, and or revenge. And both of those come into play. Um, so it does make an effective, uh, motivation, even though we do see it often, especially in films like this. Um, now I do think that there are some tropey things. Um, there are a lot of scenes where Peter shows up at Gwen's window and you're like, okay, the boys at the window, uh, you know, you see that a lot, you know, we see that. I mean, I think we even talked about that in our Stranger Things episode. It's like, oh, the boys at the window, <laughs> you know, parents don't know. <laughs> so it's like, okay, well, all right, we're seeing this again. Um, on that same kind of note, there's that, I would assume it's probably a popular scene. Again, I was watching this for the first time, but the rooftop scene between Peter and Gwen, um, it starts really good. And I was like really into it. And then I don't remember exactly when, but it turned a little bit odd. And I think it's this weird sort of sped up choreography. And it's supposed to uh, show you sort of like the 
like speed and agility that Peter now possesses. Um, he like pulls her in or she like trips or something and he like, and it, 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 comes off a little bit weird at that point and it sort of like disconnected me from the immersion of the romantic moment because all I kept thinking was like why does this feel so weird now um I, I think there's like a weird emotional shift in that moment that like sort of breaks the good like believable pace of the romantic scene um I don't, it's very hard to describe, but I thought that scene started so strong and then sort of like fell apart where I was like ready for Peter to leave. <laughs> By the time he left, I was like, okay, thank God, because I was starting to cringe a little bit, which is weird to say. And I'll talk about it more because it goes against a note that I'll say in a later character. Uh, I'm sorry, in a later category about the characters. Um, I just think a, a couple weird scenes like that were a little tropey and most of them had to do with the relationship between Peter and Gwen. Um, I have a note here that says, thank you, Captain Stacy, for being an adult that listens to your teenage protagonist. Because it's so stereotypical that the adult in charge doesn't give a flying rip about what your teenage protagonist has to say because they're a dumb kid and they don't know anything. And that's the perception that we are given of a lot of adults in a lot of media. Um, and I appreciate the fact that Captain Stacy has his very legitimate fatherly reasons to not really care about Peter very much. But when Peter approaches him looking for real help, Captain Stacy sort of dismisses him and then immediately thinks to himself, I have to follow this lead. Like, it's worth at least following up on the lead. And I appreciate that the the film gave us a moment for that because without that moment, spoilers, Captain Stacy's death would have meant nothing to us. Well, and I think, and he does it a second time, interestingly, when Gwen hands him the antidote and says, you have to take this. To P this has to get to Peter and he still pulls the good dad move and it's like get in the car I'm gonna keep you safe but then he takes it he listens to his own daughter who's mm -hmm. also a teenager mm -hmm. and so he does it twice he does it with Peter and Gwen yeah and I think it, it's good because we've been given a very clear setup of the relationships amongst all the characters and I really don't think this is a character note. I think this is a story note. I really do. Because yes, the characters are great and we'll talk about that when we get there. But I think the relationship between um, your characters is what tells your story. And I think this, the plot points that we get each distinct moment have to be delivered in such a way that you believe it. And now we've got this really distinct picture of like who our three main characters are, which, well, four main characters are, I, I, I would say, Peter, Dr. Connors, Gwen, and then Captain Stacy are kind of like our four primary characters for the movie. And I think we've now been given a very clear, distinct understanding of what each of these characters' role is in this story. And now, by the time we get to this moment, we're like, okay, I understand how the the cogs are moving together. And so now I can just sit back and understand that I can enjoy the way that this uh, execution is running. 
even if it's not necessarily happy, it's like, okay, now I have trust in the way that this story has been weaved. Um, have you ever watched something and you're like, I don't understand. We're halfway through this and I still don't understand what this dude is doing here or what this lady's purpose is. I don't find any of that in this movie. I think by the time you're halfway point of the movie to the end, you're like, okay, I now trust how they've set this up. I don't have to think too hard about this anymore. Now I'm just watching it unfold. And I appreciate that. I think sometimes movies really any media, they want you to work really hard from beginning to end. And that gets tiresome after a while. This movie makes you work a little bit in the beginning. And then by the time you're halfway, you're just cruising at that point. And I really liked that. So that's why I consider it kind of a good, uh, a good positive about just the way the story is executed. And I think this kind of goes back to pacing too, and that goes all the way through to the end of the movie. I think the pacing is really good, the ebb and flow of the humor, like I mentioned, it all just works really, really well together. The only reason I took that half point off was because there are a few scenes that do seem a little tropey um, slash awkward, and I was like, I don't understand what I'm watching right here. Um, so that's the only reason. So yes, one uh, 1.5 points out of two for me. All right. So I also gave this one and a half points out of two um, for plot and story delivery. I think it's noteworthy to say that this particular iteration of Spider-Man was pretty heavily influenced by the comic series Ultimate Spider-Man. So the Ultimate Spider-Man series was a reboot of the Spider-Man story um, with a little edgier, uh, more cartoony animation style. It's not really animation. It's a uh, drawing style. Art style. Yeah. Art style. So which is why Spider-Man's his eyes on his costume were a little bigger. His, his, I think Andrew Garfield physically, his frame fits that kind of feel. The, um, He's definitely taller and leaner. Mm -hmm. Um, so. yeah. So a lot of that is pretty consistent with the ultimate Spider-Man, uh, storyline. Um, and it, this particular plot and story delivery of the character of Spider-Man is a more, has a more serious tone. It's not this brightly colored, you know, slapstick comedy, cartoony comic book, you know, 1950s comic book panel with the bright yellows, bright reds, bright blues kind of color theming. This particular overall theme of the plot itself is a more muted kind of dramatic tone. And that's pretty consistent with the Ultimate Spider-Man comic book I'm glad series. you knew that because I had I have zero comic book knowledge. So I know that a lot of the things especially like Marvel and DC related are going to be pretty much pulled directly from the comic book. So I'm glad that you have some knowledge about that and can talk about that because I have nothing to offer yeah. in that department. Yeah. So a lot of people, a lot of people give this film a lot of hate because they're fans of Tobey Maguire or they're fans, they're new fans and they're fans of Tom Holland. And I just want to say, as a disclaimer, this is my favorite iteration of Spider-Man in the Spider-Man films. I am at heart a Marvel comic book fan. I have been since middle school. So I, I think that it's just important to kind of give you as our audience that background so you understand kind of where I'm coming from in analyzing this media. I think that the plot, kind of plot points that fit that comic book feel is the scene where uh, Peter's in the subway beating up the thugs where he's having that basketball scene with Flash. Um, the uh, His skateboarding in the 
the warehouse, the empty warehouse, all of that's pretty consistent with a comic book feel, but it could also be any movie. It, it kind of fits any film. It's not specific to a comic book environment. Um, I think that the theme, and I'm, I'm stealing this from kind of the uh, audio commentary of the film, with Mark Webb, so I, I have I've dug into this film deeper than the average watcher. Um, but the kind of theme of this, the intentional theme of this movie, and I think it's expressed very well, is that the theme of the movie is that Peter begins the film searching for his father, and at the end of the movie, he finds himself. And I think that that theme is very mm. well discussed and portrayed in this film. The opening scene is Peter playing hide and seek. He's looking for his father. Throughout the film, he struggles with not having a father, having that kind of wound of abandonment from his childhood. And his. Um, then towards the end of the film, as in becoming Spider-Man, he finds out he finds who he is. And the, the end, the bookend of the film is his, you know, teacher saying the question asked in all of literature or whatever is, who am I? So it starts with Peter looking for his father and at the end he answers the question, who am I? So I think that that's a very mature plot for a quote unquote comic book film. And I really like that aspect of this movie. I like that it's more of an adult, just dramatic film that just happens to have comic book characters in it. Um, okay. I think the lizard as a villain He's better than that typical, like, I'm a rich billionaire kind of villain. Um, it really has a pretty impressive uh, motivation with uh, eugenics versus scientific pioneering. He wants to perfect humanity. Um, that's a pretty pretty deep plot for a comic book film versus I'm an evil villain and I'm going to take over the world, like Doctor Doom, mm -hmm. you know, just wants to take over the world. Mm -hmm. um, but then again the plot of, and this, this could also, um, the, this could also fit into characters as well, but I think giving, having that villain as your, um, it, as it pertains to the plot, he, you know, wants to perfect humanity, but he won't use his experiments on veterans at the veterans hospital, but then he proceeds to bomb the city with his, his, yeah. um, you know, lizard creating, formula. Right. So it's a pretty high stake as a villain of the plot. It's more than just, you know, I want to kill Spider-Man. It's, you know, I'm gonna bomb the I'm city. I'm now altering humanity. Humanity in right. the city. Yeah. Right. Um, I think that in delivering the plot, the way that they have Peter's strength and agility and his spidey sense, it all integrates into him naturally. It's not like he has to, they don't spend time in this film where he's trying to figure out, oh my gosh, how do I use my spidey sense? It's like he literally wakes up the day after and all of a sudden has this ability, like with the subway train scene. Yeah. He wakes up and he immediately has this, this ability. Um, I think they, this movie is actually the very first iteration in film where Peter has to build and design his own web shooters. Uh, whereas the Tobey Maguire film, Peter has his web integrated into him. He produces it organically uh, versus Peter in this film. It, they really push into the kind of intelligence of Peter and he develops his own web shooters. I like that in this uh, plot, part of the plot, that he builds an actual spider web and then proceeds to use that 
webbing as, um, you know, he, he feels the vibrations on the web when the lizards are coming down. So I think that they do a really good job of creating, integrating Spider-Man's versatility into the, the overarching plot that he's inventive and creative in different ways. Um, I like that in this plot, they, you know, and I'm trying not to continuously compare it to the original uh, Sam Raimi trilogy, but kind of a kind of external or antagonist. An external antagonist is J. Jonah Jameson, who's trying to make Spider-Man out to be this villain. Mm -hmm. In this film, you have Captain Stacy, and I think it makes a lot more logical sense that Captain Stacy is is an antagonist to Spider-Man because you, you... in maintaining law and order, you can't have a vig- you can't have vigilante work, right. and I think that's extremely believable. And it doesn't in any way make Captain Stacy a villain. It's right. just a believable um, perspective of a law enforcement. He's just officer. trying to do his job. Right. 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 Um, I do think I didn't give it a full two points as much as I'm kind of uh, talking up this film. There are quite a few plot holes in this in this movie that I think are just a little unbelievable. Um, I think that in you know the the important scene, you know the climactic scene when Uncle Ben gets shot by you know the random thug, I think it was completely stupid for Uncle Ben to go after a gunman's gun. Like here he is, you know, on the street, True. and he's gonna just you know lunge after this firearm, like. Dude, if you had just run away, the guy probably would have just let you go and he wouldn't have died. I think that that's just a little ridiculous. The um, the scene right after it when the police shows Aunt May the sketch of the thug, that was like the world's best sketch artist on the planet. It literally looks exactly like him. Yeah. Like, that's just that's just ridiculous. Like, who did they find? They have like a like a, a NYU art major make the, the <laughs> sketch. Like, where the heck did this guy come from? My um, specialty. Yeah. Is... is Taking random street thugs. Yeah, and was it what's what? Did the artist have a photographic memory and they actually saw them? Like it's <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's yeah. just a little ridiculous. Um, I think that the uh the scene when um uh, the guy tells uh, Dr. Connors like clear out your office. You're leaving. Clear out your office tomorrow. Like and like fires him. Essentially fires him and has him clean out his office. It's like. I'm going to have you clear out your office, but first I'm going to leave you here with all the secret technology and notes and everything. I'm not going to confiscate that now. I'm going to give you till tomorrow so that you have the opportunity to take it all and hide it and run away with it. And instead of me taking it now and walking you out of the building, like that just, to me, that just makes no sense here. Oscorp is this huge lab that has all these like top grade, expensive security, security, secrets, research and development. And they're like, oh, by the way, Dr. Connors, I'm going to fire you tomorrow so i'll give you the chance to take everything that we technically own with you like and then the crane scene when peter at the the climax of the film when peter's trying to get to um you know the tower to stop the lizard and all of the crane operators turn their cranes to give him a pathway in it's it's corny like i'm not gonna be the um the, I'm not looking at it through rose-colored glasses. I completely admit that it's it's extremely corny. Um, however, I think that it has merit. I think that the, the premise of that event in the film is that here Peter is, has this kind of theme that Peter always looks out for the little guy. 
He always takes care of the insignificant. You know, when he's protecting the guy from the bully and telling him, you know, don't eat the, don't eat it, you know, don't eat it, flash, put him down, stop it. And then he saves the kid off the bridge. You know, it's one kid out of all the people hanging in their cars. And Peter goes and saves the one, the one kid. And that, the father ends up being the crane operator. So it's like here, Peter is always looking out for the little guy. And then the little guy gets to do something to help Peter at the end. So I think that's, that's kind of the message of that aspect. But I do admit it's just a little unbelievable that all these crane operators are going to turn their cranes over the street so that Peter has a direct path there. I think that's a little corny. Um, But anyways, those are my kind of notes uh, regarding just the plot specifically. Uh, One and a half points out of two. Okay. Uh, For characters, we allot a total of three points. I gave it 2.5 points out of three. So pretty high. Um, I have to say the casting, phenomenal across the board. Um, I do think, however... Uh, Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone are a little bit old <laughs> to be playing high school students. They were 29 and 23. That's pretty old. Thankfully, they both look pretty young for their, for their ages. Um, but it's still, a, it gives you almost a little bit of, like, Grease vibes. I always use Grease as the example of, like, people much too old to be playing high schoolers playing high schoolers. So I, I do think there is a little bit of like a, ugh, they're just a little bit too old, but you like them acting in those roles enough that like after the initial setup of the movie, it's kind of like, I'm gonna just throw that away and enjoy it because they're doing such a good job, you know? Um, I think uh, the little boy that they cast as young Peter at the very beginning looks a lot like him, so good job there. I also want to seriously applaud Sally Field. I think she is the best Aunt May. I really do. She, I feel like her age, her personality that she kind of gives to Aunt May in this iteration is very good. I think her um, relationship with Peter feels super believable. Um... It's a different vibe than I think it's, especially, I haven't watched the Tobey Maguire movies in a long time, so I don't remember them as well, but I think it's a completely different dynamic than, like, Tom Holland and that Aunt May have, and not necessarily in a way that I think it's a detriment to to that version, but I think this version is a little better and and a little more believable, and maybe that's because of the fact that Aunt May in this version is older. So you believe that she's the aunt more. Um, I don't know. I just, I really like her kind of really nurturing, almost worried for Peter all the time. Uh, it, it feels very believable. I mean, if I think if I was in her shoes, I would also be very concerned that the fact that my nephew keeps showing up, beat up in the middle of the night, won't tell me what's going on. Like, that would freak me out. Yeah. I would be very concerned. So I think the way that she plays that is very nice. Um, so huge props to Sally Field for that. Um, I have to mention, and this is what I was going to say is going to seem like a counter to my previous point where some of the scenes between Peter and Gwen are very tropey. However, their on-screen chemistry 
it's like you can feel it. It's palpable. And so I guess this just comes down to casting, but like they genuinely feel like they've got to be dating in real life. Like you just buy it. Like they are head over heels for each other. Like there's just no questioning that throughout the whole film. And I think that's very rare. Um, obviously, you know, you have like couples on screen that you, that do have good chemistry, but like this was something I noticed even from the beginning, like before they were even like an item in the, um, in the story, it's like their first interaction in the movie. It's like, you can tell they're both into each other. Like, it's, I, I don't know how they did it, but it was just so good. I've seen a video, I think, that you sent to me, and it was, like, a screen test before they were, before Emma Stone, I think, was officially cast, and they were trying to, like, screen test different actors or whatever with Andrew Garfield, and even in that video, I was like, dang, they should just go out already, yeah. <laughs> because it's just so realistically palpable I was just impressed by that and usually like the romance in in things I, I don't put a ton of weight into like I understand that like it's necessary for a lot of stories but I don't know this one's just on another level well I like it um fun fact in case you didn't know this and for our listeners that might not know this but um Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone did start dating after the film, when though? they were filming, when they were filming, well, that so makes sense. It, I mean, the chemistry really was yeah, a, pretty genuine. Yeah, they must genuine. have had real chemistry then. So then that makes total sense because yeah. I don't know how you could act that way and not actually be into the person. You yeah. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, you would deserve all of the acting awards if you were not actually into this person because I'm. I can't believe that. It's like you find out they actually hated each other and couldn't stand each I, other. I wouldn't you would, believe it. They would both deserve Oscars. Yeah, for those like, roles. I, I just can't believe that at all. Um, I do also want to give note. I think that the actor whose name I forget, the the guy who plays Doctor Connors, mm -hmm. I think he does really well at portraying the fact that he only has one arm. Um, I think that's probably something that's difficult, you know, when you don't actually have, like, a physical disability that way. I'm sure it's probably difficult to act as if you do. So, but I think he does a really believable job of kind of convincing us that, like, you know, he does have this disability now. And it has become such a frustration for him that he has this strong motivation to complete the experiments that he's been working on. So I think it, it's a nice tie, it's a personal character tie-in that fits nicely to the motive for the plot purposes. And I think that's really nice. Um, I, I put a note in the characters about these crane guys, don't know how they did it, because you're right, it doesn't really make sense, but MVPs to those guys because they really made the end scene um, really believable. Um, or, I mean, not really believable, really easy for Peter to, like, get his goal done. Um, but you're right, it's not very believable. Um, yeah, no, I, I think, I don't have a ton of, like, character notes, but I, I did give it a pretty high score. Um, the only thing that I think was a little bit detrimental is, I think, the scene of Uncle Ben dying. Um, the setup is really poor, and so it makes the grieving that we see feel a little strange. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, just the whole circumstances of him, of him dying. It's like, it's almost like 
it, it, there's just a weird disconnect I felt there. And I was like, I feel like the, I don't know if it was the tone or whatever, but it just seemed to shift in a way that felt awkward. Um, and so it wasn't that I didn't believe the grief of Peter and Aunt May, but it almost felt like we jumped there too fast. And so they almost seemed overdramatic, but they're not overdramatic. It's just they didn't ramp into that really well. So I put it in character notes because it, it did kind of come down to performance, but honestly, if I'm being honest, this is probably a directing fail and not an acting fail. Um, but it made your characters look a little weird when you did it that way. Um, and also, like, this is final note, but just side note, Andrew Garfield is so cute. He's just so cute. I just like watching him on the screen. I'd never, like, I've watched things that he's been in before, but, like, while watching this movie, I just kept thinking to myself, like, he's just so cute. He's just cute. So, good job to him, because I think he, even though he was older, um, a little too old, maybe, to be playing Peter Parker, he did great. And I think you just add him in with Emma Stone and... I just watched both of them together and I'm like, they're just so cute. They're, you know, it's just, anyway. So that's uh, all my character notes, 2.5 out of three. Alrighty. So I gave, uh, for characters, I gave three out of three points for this. I, I think the characters in this uh, film are just exceptional. I think that they do a great job of keeping the cast relatively minimal. There aren't, you know, 15 students we have to try and get to know. There's a very small cast of characters and all of them serve an important purpose. I think that uh, Peter as a character, I love that they, they set him out from the start, that he's already the kind of you know young man who looks out for the little guy. He helps the helpless. He doesn't even have his powers yet and he's already standing up to Flash, the bully of the school, trying to even stop picking on people. And he calls him Eugene and gets in a fight with him to defend somebody else right out of the gate. And I think that they keep that, they instill that in him as a character before he even has powers. So then when he becomes Spider-Man and is the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man who's looking out for the little guy, it's that was already in him before he had superpowers. He didn't just get these powers and then decide, okay, well now I should probably save the world and help people. They give him that character quality before he's even anybody special. Mm -hmm. um, I like that they made that decision. I like that he's intelligent. You know, he's, um, you see in his bedroom before he has any kind of superpowers, these like locking mechanism he's designed for his door. Right. And, you know, so he's, Helping Uncle Ben figure out why is the washing machine overflowing. He's he's already... You, another thing they already established with him as this is who Peter Parker is, not this is who Spider-Man is. You know, Peter Parker is trying to help his uncle figure out what's wrong with the washer. And he's mechanically inclined and he's he's thinking critically about those kinds of things, scientifically, if you will. And then the conversations he's having with Dr. Connors about his... Decay rate algorithm. It's it's not then unbelievable when as Spider-Man, oh my gosh, all of a sudden he's bit by a spider and he's a super genius. No, he was intelligent and inventive and creative at the beginning. I do agree that Emma Stone and Andrew Garfield are relatively old cast in this film. 
However, my argument against that, that's one of the biggest criticisms of this film because now you ha- look at Tobey Maguire, he looked even true. older, I true, think. True, true, And then look at Tom Holland, he looks legitimately like a teenager. Yeah. However, have you seen teenagers today? I mean, they're way bigger than I was I mean, teenager. these teenagers now, these 16 year there's a reason that these, you know, people on Instagram and YouTube are interviewing and asking these girls for their number and these girls are saying, um, I'm 16. Because because yeah. teenagers today look like grown adults. That's true. You know, so I think that they're in this era now. It's there's a it's eas- more easily forgivable than it was when it came out. Okay. I also think in this film they are high school seniors. Okay. So they're not fourteen years old. They're seventeen years old. I think they even say that in the film. And I also think they do a good job of casting the other students to match their age. That's true. So mm-hmm. it's more believable in the world as a whole. It's not like you have Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone in here with a bunch of people that look 14. Right. It's like if you have Andrew Garfield with Tom Holland next to each other and you're trying to tell me these two people are the same age, it's completely unbelievable. Mm-hmm. But Andrew Garfield and Flash look, look like the same, the same age yeah. so you can be- you can have a little bit of that suspension of disbelief and believe that they're high school seniors. Um I think Andrew Garfield is very physical in his role as Peter. His movements are very intentional. He has this kind of the scene where he wakes up and he has this spidey sense and he's just a little jittery and kind of on edge. I think he he performs that very well physically as an actor and I think that that's should be noted in this this section um because it kind of falls into that acting play um acting category i agree i think peter and gwen's chemistry is absolutely phenomenal i think that in my opinion i think gwen and peter in are the best couple spider-man couple in the different spider-man iterations i think their chemistry just makes them extremely believable I think Gwen as a character is great. She's Peter's equal. She's not a damsel in distress. Right. A lot of times, you know, these characters, the the female lead of the hero is just this trope for him to have somebody to rescue. But I like that Gwen's character matches Peter in every way. She's the one with the Oscorp internship, not Peter. She's the one that's, you know, they have this little debate of who's first in their class, you know, because she's equally intelligent. And then they use that in the film. So she helps Peter with the things he needs to do. And she shows exceptional intelligence and courage and heroism uh, in helping him in that final act to make the antidote and beat the lizard and Mm -hmm. things like that. I think Captain Stacy, one of Captain Stacy's best qualities is he is a good dad. Yeah. He's not just a good cop, he's a good dad. I think it's a funny scene when he comes to uh, Gwen's door and she's like trying to describe to him that she's like having cramps and he's like, uh, okay, what do I, what do you need? It's like such a cute little moment between them because he's like, okay, well, I don't really want to get involved, but also like, do you need something? Because I think, so yeah, it's a, he is a good dad. Right. And then he's also a good dad in the sense that towards the end, Gwen has this um, potential to be in real danger and his job is to protect her. And then he tells Peter, you know, keep her out of it. Like, that's my daughter. She does not need to be involved in all this danger that you're going to be involved in now. And I think that 
I just applaud, like, thank you for being a good dad and wanting to protect your kids instead of being like, sure, you can gallivant around the world and not, I don't care if you're in peril. I think that that's a really good aspect of his character. And I think that alone is why you care about him when he dies. Right. Spoiler. Um, because... I already I know, spoiled everything. I know. <laughs> um, I think Dr. Connors has a realistic motive. Like you said, I think he does a great job at giving him this... Uh, as portraying this character with a real physical disability. But not in a way that makes him feel like less than or any sort of right and you don't necessarily feel sorry for him it's not like it's a pity Mm -hmm. card that he has but you see this man struggle with the fact that he is missing an arm and he believes he has the answer to fix his his disability and that he thinks he has a i think he has genuine intentions of like the possibility for this to help people is very real for him. And then, of course, it just it morphs into this more sinister plot. Yeah. But it never seems unbelievable for him to, to change. Strive for that. Right, yeah. right. Um, I think that Uncle Ben is probably the weakest character. And I'm okay with that because I think that the struggle that Peter has is not really deeply connected to Uncle Ben. The struggle he has is, and that the film is good at, at noting, is that he's angry because his dad isn't there. Right. And Uncle Ben tries to be the surrogate father to him, but he acknowledges, I'm not your dad, and I can't be your dad. Mm-hmm. I think that's very, very commendable in a film for that character that kind of has to step in as the surrogate father acknowledges like I'm not your dad and I'm never going to be your dad. I'm just doing the best I can to try and fill that role. But the pain that you have because you your dad is is not here and you feel abandoned by your father, I'm not going to just swoop in and fix that that hurt. And I think that that's a great aspect of this film that's very rarely touched on in film. And I think that for example, and this is not in any way to bash this movie. It's just the different direction that they took. Tom Holland doesn't have his parents or his uncle when you first meet him as a character. And he has no problem with that. There's, there, is no, there is no trauma. There's no wound. There's no struggle with that part of his life. It's just not a facet of his character the way that it is for exactly. Andrew Garfield. Exactly. And I think that this film does a great job of exploring that without it overtaking the character and now you can't even like him because he's this angsty angsty angry wounded teenager that's but they do i think accurately explore a very real pain and hurt that a lot of people experience i think aunt may the fact that you kind of already touched on the fact that she can't sleep because peter's out and that he comes home with all these wounds and injuries and she you know has all these secrets. And I think it's very interesting. One moment that I really, really enjoy in the film is when Peter finds his dad's briefcase, you can see Aunt May and Uncle Ben look at each other and they've realized that Peter has found something very significant. And then later where Aunt May cautions Peter about having secrets. And I think that there's this underlying... Is she the one that says secrets have a cost? Yes. Yeah. And I that think that was that, a great line. Yeah. I think that having that undertone that 
Both Aunt May and Uncle Ben know that Peter's father had some pretty significant secrets, and now here Peter is with a pretty significant secret, and they're acknowledging that there is danger in all of that. I think that the, the overall, just all of those aspects of characters are just very, very deep. And yeah, it's a little dramatic, if you will, quote unquote dramatic for a comic book film. But that's something that I really enjoy about this movie is that these characters really could be anyone. It doesn't have to be Spider-Man and the people in the Spider-Man universe that they're all developed very thoroughly and with real attributes that anybody could have and relate to. So all in all, I think that I really don't have a lot to say negatively. I think that in general, um, the only really negative things is one, I think that Gwen cares. She puts too much weight in the school nurse. I think she asked Peter like four times, you should go see the school nurse. And I think that's ridiculous because everybody knows that the school nurse is just going to give you a bag of ice and tell you to go back to class. So I think that is a little ridiculous. And then the other thing, I think that Uncle Ben, when he's kind of chewing Peter out for the basketball scene where he kind of shows up flash to kind of quote unquote, get revenge. Mm Mm-hmm. The first time I saw it, I was like, yeah, Uncle Ben's right. And I think every time I've watched it afterwards, I like Uncle Ben less and less and less. Because it's like, dude, you know what Peter's gone through. And you know he's a stand-up guy and he's not just... I know he's cautioning him against revenge, but at the same time, it's like... Okay. Like, this kid has been through the ringer. Like, can you blame him for having one moment where he just snapped? Yeah, (laughs) and and took... action against this bully that's given him hell for probably yeah, it's not like the... he just beat up some rando right you know? and in that moment peter was looking out for the little guy like mm-hmm. flash knocked over that girl's paint and she peter's almost taking up for her rather than getting revenge for himself right so i think that's a little unwarranted and it kind of makes uncle ben unlikable and it's kind of unfortunate that that scene um precedes his death because i think that it makes it makes you a little less concerned that he's died because you just had this moment where he was kind of unlikable. But overall, I don't think that for me, that's not enough to remove any, any points for the characters. So I'm sorry. I know that was a long, a long hot take on the characters of this this movie, but uh, three out of three for me. Okay. So our next category is aesthetics. Uh, Two possible allotted points. I gave it one. Um, I, tend to look at aesthetics a lot more critically than Holland does. Um, and she tends to look at characters a lot more critically than I do. Or maybe plot. I don't know. But um, aesthetics is kind of where I, I find, like, weird things to nitpick. So I'm sorry for the nitpicks that I have found. Um, I'll start with some positives, though. Near the beginning of the movie, there's that shot in the attic um, where the light is coming through. And he leans down, and it's all in shadow. Beautiful. Beautiful shot. I love shots like that, especially because this movie did not use them excessively. When you use a beautiful shot excessively, it loses its impact. And it didn't happen like that. It They gave us a beautiful, impactful shot, and then they moved on to something else. It, they didn't drag it out. They didn't do it four more times. Um, and I like that kind of thing in any sort of visual media. Um... They, they, there's some other great shots too. Um, there's a great shot through the door. I think this might have been after, after the rooftop scene. Peter sort of storms out and you see it's like a long shot through the door. Or maybe it's another scene. I don't remember. There's some scene where Peter like sort of frustratingly leaves in like a hurry. And there's just this long shot 
through a door. It's like from far away, but it looks so good. Oh, maybe it's in the house. Is that when he slams the door and it breaks? Yes. Yep. When he slams the door and, he, and it breaks, but you see through the door windows mm -hmm. and it's just a really nice, like effective shot. I like things like that. I think that they did a great job with um, sort of the reptile skin that you see um, mostly on Dr. Connors, but when um, other towns, city folk, um, start to sort of turn reptilian, I think they do a really good job with sort of like the reptile um, skin, kind of the scaling, um, the eyes, that sort of thing. Um, I think the CGI is starting, when you see like full CGI, the lizard, it's starting to look a little dated, but not yet to the point where it is, uh, it breaks your immersion. However, I do think perhaps in five to 10 years, we're going to have got past that point where people are going to watch this movie and they're going to be like, oh, gross, look at these 2012 graphics. Um, so I think we're not quite there yet, but I can see it happening soon um, because it does look, a it starts to look a little cartoony when he's kind of full CGI. Um, but right now I think it's okay. Now, some of the negatives are um, <laughs> when Peter is on the computer and you're looking at those websites, those are some pretty dated websites by now. Um, that I'm not a fan of the slow-mo basketball jump things. I'm, I'm like, I, it, it's a little bit campy. It feels a little campy to me. I think maybe at the time they were cool shots, but I think now they seem very um, indicative to the time in sort of a bad way. Um, there's also some incontinuity in this movie. Uh, one example of that is when he's in the school and he gets approached by Gwen and in the scene, he pulls both of his headphones out of his ear. And then it, we cut to like a slightly different angle and his right earbud is still in his ear. And I think I made you go back and play it a couple times because I was trying to make sure I was seeing it correctly. But that's exactly what happens. So he pulls his head, his both his headphones out, and then the next sh like shot, we see his right headphone still in his ear. And I was like, dang it! Script supervisor should have caught that because I feel like it's very obvious in the scene. I think, though, to be fair, as someone without a film background, I don't think anyone in the world would catch that. Well, I did. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that was just some incontinuity. Um, oh, I do think the sound design is pretty good in this game. Um, it's a movie. How, sorry, movie, my brain. Um, uh, I do wish that they would stop using dinosaur-esque sounds for all reptiles in movies. Because once again, we get dino screeches for lizards. And I'm like, oh, so that was like the only thing about the sound design that I'm like, can we please do something different this time? Um, but I think everything else is really good. Um, the, there's like, they use a lot of um, sound transitions from one scene to another. Um, like after um, Peter gets bit, it, there's like a screeching noise that grows into the subway. 
And so, and then we cut to the subway. And I think I really like sound transitions that way. I think they're a very effective editing tool. I think they're very good at telling the story. And especially if you can get two things that are not like each other at all to sync up with one common sound. I think that's a great, very creative tactic. And they did it really well in a couple things. Uh, that's just the one example that I wrote down. So I think the whoever was their sound design team um, really did a great job um, with those sorts of things. Um, did I have any other notes? I think the fight choreography is pretty good. Um, I don't think it's necessarily complicated. Um, however, I think it's very fitting. I think um, you buy that Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker is capable of doing these things because of other things that we've seen him do, the subway scene, the fight with Flash, those sorts of things. So when you get to the point where he is fighting off baddies, being a vigilante, you buy it. You're like, okay, yeah, he can. he's capable of doing these things, but it never becomes super, like, flashy or show-offy and me for one actually I actually appreciated the fact that fight scenes did not seem to really drag on I feel like some superhero movies you're watching one fight for 40 minutes and you're like I'm ready for something different at this point I'm tired of watching these guys throw the same four punches at each other and then talk a little bit and then throw some more punches or whatever and I think this is a problem that some of the Avengers movies have is I understand that those movies are basically built around large fights, but I like it when fight choreo choreography is precise and concise enough that we see our protagonist get in there, kick the butt he needs to kick, and then move on. Like, that's all we need. We don't need all of the extra fluff so I appreciated that um so all of that to say one out of two points for aesthetics for me all right I um I agree I do think that I'm less critical of aesthetics and you are tend to be less critical of of characters um so I gave this uh one and a half points out of two for aesthetics I did have similar notes that you did. The the transition sound-wise from the Peter getting bit by the spider to the subway scene I think is great. I really... It, I feel like it's pretty rare to see that in film. It is. That's why I appreciate it so, so much. So I like that aspect of it. I also made a note... I think one of my biggest... Um, my biggest notes that you kind of just touched on is the balance between the story and the combat. I, I agree completely that the majority of comic book films are lean more towards action films. And so there's a car chase or a combat scene or a fight scene or a chase scene that just lasts way too long. And so the whole film feels like just one long action sequence with dialogue spattered here and there. And I think this film, one of the reasons I enjoy it so much is that they balance the two. I think the choreography in this film for Spider-Man is excellent. I think they do a great job of Peter using his web shooters creatively. The fact that he's extremely agile, they use his agility where it all feels very organic that Spider-Man would actually be doing this rather than a man on wires being kind of thrown around the set. He all he feels very weighted in his combat versus the when the 
stunts are done in those kind of fly rigs. Right. It, it feels like they're fl- they're hanging in the air way too long. They're flying backwards way too smoothly. And I feel like the combat in this film really feels like it's happening in frame, even mm. in the aspects where it's CG. On that note, I do think that a lot of the CG holds up, but not all of it. The scene particularly that kind of bothers me is, and I don't know, I should have looked it up. I don't know if it's done in camera or not, but the scene where Dr. Connor's hand is, his hand has grown Mm -hmm. and that casing kind of comes off of it and you see this fleshy hand and he touches the light bulb and he feels the, the heat from the light bulb. For me, his hand looks very much like a silicone prop. Mm. And I think, I wish that it looked a little more organic. I think if I, and you can look this up and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that he likely had a silicone apparatus over his real hand. And so the fingers are a little too wide. They look a little gummy. I I think that I commend them. Yeah, definitely not a pretty hand. No, and I commend them for doing an in-frame effect versus just straight CGI or just having him with his real hand there because the actor does have two hands, two mm-hmm. arms. But I, I wish that it looked a little less... The texture, I think, is what gets it for me. It looks mm-hmm. kind of gummy and silicone. Could it, could it be explained away as it's like new flesh like you know like when you have like a burn victim or something and and like the top layers of skin kind of reveal the skin underneath and it it is a little like shiny and like weird do you think it could be explained away as something like that i think so except for the fact that i think his fingers look way too wide in comparison to the other hand so i think that overall i i I personally prefer in-frame practical effects versus CGI effects. I just think they tend to hold up better, but I think this is one aspect where it doesn't. Um, I think the Oscorp lab design of it is extremely impressive. It feels like a laboratory where they could be developing something as fantastical as lizard serum to regrow limbs. It feels like that kind of laboratory. Um, I do wish, kind of going back to Dr. Connors, as I wish that the design of the lizard had more of a lizard-like face rather than a human face with scales. I think the way his mouth is shaped is odd, right? Yeah, it is. And I think they're trying to give him that lizard uh, mouth, but he doesn't have a snout. So it just, to me, it, I understand and respect them choosing that character design. However, in like the Ultimate Spider-Man comic series, he has more of a lizard-like face. He looks like an anthropomorphic lizard rather than a man with lizard skin. So I wish that he looked more like the lizard comic version versus the creature from the Black Lagoon. Is what he kind of looks like to me. (laughs) Okay. Um, The there are a couple times where I think the music in the action scenes is really really loud. The score is just overwhelming. You have to turn Mm, the volume down on your TV, and that's one of my pet peeves in in film. I think we talked about that pretty pretty uh, well in Super Eight too. Yeah, and one thing I think could be completely avoided is the the scene towards the end of the film where Gwen comes to Peter's doorstep and it's raining outside and she's telling him that he didn't he wasn't there for her father's funeral. I think that it I don't know why 
they didn't mitigate this, but the rain, the sound of the rain is so loud, you can hardly hear the dialogue. And I feel like that's something, there have been scenes shot in the rain for decades, Mm -hmm. and that's never really been a huge issue in film. So why is it an issue in this film? And they could have fixed it too by having the actors ADR their own lines over themselves back in the studio. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so that they're like, oh, shoot, you know, we didn't even catch this during filming. There's a way to fix that right. in, like, post-production. Right. It's completely avoidable. And I think that I like that you can hear the rain, and it sounds like you're hearing the rain that's in camera versus hearing the, a sound effect right. played over. But I I think that it's just, it's almost unmistakable and distracting at how loud it is compared to the dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I do just really want to touch on is the Stanley cameo of the library scene. It's so fun. I think that is just so much fun. I think it's the best Stanley cameo in any Marvel film because I think the setting is comical enough. And yet in the background, the the fight choreography is just brilliant. You can rewatch that scene over and over again. And the way that the movement of the fight choreography on the stage keeps your eyes moving. It's still believable. It's, you know, things moving forward in the frame and back in the frame. I just think the the fight choreography, in addition to the fact that it's a humorous Stan Lee cameo, is just really great. And then the fight choreography at the end of the film with Peter between the lizard where they're using the nitroglycerin. I think it's nitroglycerin. But they're, you know, he freezes Dr. The lizard's appendages and they break off and, mm-hmm. and he regrows them. I think that that's just very innovative and it's it's more than just swinging punches at each other right. for villains. And I also like the fact that for the last part of the combat, that Peter doesn't get his web shooters. His web shooters are broken and now he has to fight strictly on his innate ability as Spider-Man. And I think that's something very unique to mm-hmm. Spider-Man as a, as it a hero. It also gives him an opportunity to think cleverly. Right. right. And so I, I think that... Because of all of that, and I'm not quite as critical on aesthetics, that's why I gave it one and a half points out of two. Okay. So now we're moving into personal taste and preference. Um, I gave it one and a half points out of two. Um, I really enjoyed it a ton. I'd want to rewatch it again. I would like to watch the second movie with you at some point or on my own, whatever. I definitely, I'd want to continue the story of Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. The only critique is the few tropes I think that I mentioned earlier. Um, I think that uh, it's interesting because um, I think each uh, each iteration we have of Spider-Man, these three, you know, the the Toby, the Andrew, the Tom, they all have very distinct colors, and I think that that's to be commended. I think it, no matter what kind of comic book or movie fan that you are, you're gonna find one of those colors that you like, and I think. That's um, really cool. I I think they're all very distinct without uh, dismissing the, you know, innate characteristics of Peter Parker and Spider-Man. I think all three of them, you know, bring something unique to the character without contradicting um, the character, you know, as a whole. And so I I think that's to be uh, recognized and commended. And I really enjoyed seeing... Um, Andrew Garfield's take on Spider-Man and how I genuinely thought he was going to be a little too emotional for my liking and watching the movie I didn't feel that way. I felt like I believed his emotions um, and I didn't 
really mind the more, I guess, darker or sadder moments from him because they didn't last through the whole film. It's not like he was just a mopey Spider-Man, which was kind of what I was expecting going in. So um, that I was a little worried about that. But I think that he, you know, his, he's his very, it's a very distinct version of Spider-Man. And I think he does it very well. And I really enjoyed it. Um, but I also like that it is different from the other two versions of Spider-Man. Um, so I wanted to just commend the creators of this iteration for giving us something that is different and it doesn't just feel like another reboot of the same thing so one out of two points out of ten or one out of i'm sorry one and a half points out of two all right well i don't think it's any surprise that my personal taste and preference gets full points so two out of two points for me this is my andrew garfield is my favorite spider-man uh film version of spider-man i think this movie is an is an excellent movie uh, objectively, but then this is the one I do enjoy the most. I think that the best thing, the the reason why I enjoy this movie so much is that Peter is such a well-developed character. He has so much more depth in his character versus the other Spidey iterations. I think that, um, you know, no shade thrown at Tobey Maguire or Tom Holland, but to me, both of them feel kind of more like a flat comic book character. Whereas Andrew Garfield, I mean, he's a phenomenal actor. He's an Oscar-nominated actor, and I think that he brings that caliber of a performance to this film, even though it's a quote-unquote comic book film. I think that Gwen is such a likable character as a female protagonist, as the the female, the lead female to our leading man. I think that she just is such, still such a well-developed character. Um, she's not a damsel in distress. I think the villain is very complex. He has complex motives. He's very engaging. And I think that especially at the time of this film, the, the other comic book films that were being produced around this time, this is a way more mature and deep comic book story. I feel like that overall, this could be a film about anybody. It just happens to be about Spider-Man. And I like that aspect of it. I think that they've taken the characters of Spider-Man and the other people in his world and they've given them, they've made them real people. And then of course the circumstances of Spider-Man still apply to them, but the characters don't feel like they came out of a 1950s comic book page or like the Adam, it doesn't feel like the Adam West Batman character okay. version of Spider-Man. It feels like, a, a genuine uh, artistic take on Spider-Man where they're real characters and real people. And I think it just draws, for me personally especially, it draws you into their world and you're rooting for these characters and this story. And you do, it doesn't even bother you that these are fantastical comic book characters because you care about them as people. And the consistency of the characters just thread throughout the whole origin story of, of Spider-Man in a way that is kind of a fresh take and engaging. So I know that Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man in the uh, newest Spider-Man film, um, what is it, No Way Home? Is yeah. that the newest one? So I know that in No Way Home, Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man character got a lot of love. And I'm kind of excited that he got so much love from people that dismissed him as a character. This film's been like 
had all the shade thrown at it and been swept under the rug as like the worst Spider-Man film. And I hope that people that enjoyed his character in No Way Home can come back and enjoy this film because personally, I just think it's it's so great and I think it's done really well. So n no surprise there, two out of two for me. I, th I think it's I think it's great. Okay, great. And the last category we have is creativity, um, which is one possible point, and I gave it that full point. Um, my biggest example uh, for why I gave it full creative points, I was blown away at, near the end, the whole sewer web system that Peter sets up so that he can feel the vibration mm -hmm. uh, and know because when you're down in the sewer sound bounces so much it's very difficult to know from what direction is your enemy coming so the this the whole sewer web thing mm -hmm. i was like whoa that's so brilliant oh my gosh we've never seen that before in like a spider-man film he's using his webs for like a very uh sort of logistical tactical use instead of combat or flying you know which is really the only reasons that you see a lot of like the web usage so i was just super impressed by that so yeah and it's the way that a spider uses its web right. and detects its prey so it's very right. consistent with the spider aspect of spider-man because that's how a spider finds out that something's in its web it's the vibrations uh -huh. on this on the threads itself yeah and that way he could also track the movement of the other lizards that were being drawn to uh dr connors so i thought it was just incre incredible it's great i also think and this kind of you know, piggybacks on my last note is I really do think it's kind of a fresh take after the Toby films. I think there are a lot of people who have um, very strong, um, maybe nostalgia based um, opinions on the Toby movies. And there are people who love them. And that is great. And I don't remember them well enough to have much of an opinion on them. Um, but I think that it's good to get fresh takes on things. And this one really did give us a fresh take on that. Um, and then uh, it, it sort of helped us feel like, okay, these are familiar characters, but now, you know, I get to see them through the eyes of, like, a new perspective. And I think that that's really beneficial for fans that have been fans of something for so long. And sometimes you really do need to, like, mix that up. So full, up, full point for creativity for me. All right. I also gave it full points for creativity. So one out of one points for me as well. I, I wrote down that this movie walked so Tom Holland could run. I think that the prior to this film, the Peter Parker as like this kind of loner outside character was, you know, kind of a loser. Like Tobey Maguire's iteration of him, like Peter was kind of the one, he was the one being picked on and the loser. Um, and this one really opened the door to incorporating the classic like webhead cracking jokes, you know, goofing around, having fun, toying with his villains, kind of like, a, you know, toying with his prey, like a spot, you know? And I think that that, that was emphasized even more with Tom Holland's iteration was that he was kind of this happy-go-lucky kind of character, which you couldn't quite do with with Andrew Garfield's version of Spider-Man because you have the death of Uncle Ben and, and Peter with this kind of, you know, grief and, and guilt and, you know, his internal struggle. You couldn't immediately make him this happy-go-lucky character. But 
it was a move in that direction compared to the Sam Raimi trilogy. I think that it does a great job of not playing too hard into the nerd aspect of Peter Parker or the or a loser aspect of Peter Parker. Peter is intelligent and he is a nerd and he, you know, is very science driven, but he's not necessarily on he's not a nerd in the sense that he's in the academic decathlon like Tom Holland's character, but he's also not getting hit, getting shoved into a locker like Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker. Mm -hmm. So I think it's that good balance in between. I think that it's a great cinematic take on a superhero film. This movie is extremely cinematic when compared to other superhero films. And I don't really think that was really done before. And I don't think, honestly, it's really been done since. This is a more dramatic take on a superhero franchise. Um, one thing I do want to address, and I've heard this multiple times by a lot of people, is that people say that Andrew Garfield is, Andrew Garfield's iteration of Spider-Man is a great Spider-Man, but he's a terrible Peter Parker. He's quote unquote, too cool to be Peter Parker. And I just have to say, I, I very much disagree with that. And I think the one thing that everybody brings up is that like, Peter, he's too cool. He's like a skateboarding Peter Parker. Let me just say, who in your high school was a skateboarder and was the cool kid? None of them. No, like, skater kid in your high school was cool. They were always these loner, outcast, outcast people that really didn't have any friends. Or if they did, they were all other loner skater kids like them. Like, just because you skateboard, really, like, there's this cinematic yeah. idea that skateboarding makes you cool. And... That's just not true. Right. Like, it's just not. No no skateboarder kid in your high school was the popular or the cool kid, and Peter's not the popular or the cool kid either. He He's a loner, and I don't think that necessarily makes him a negative... It's not a negative quality, but it also doesn't automatically make him this cool loner kid. Mm -hmm. And I think that Andrew Garfield does enough in his physicality of the character to make Peter a little awkward and a little, like, quirky. Not in, like, a, oh, it's he's a cute, cool, quirky kid that everybody wants to be like. He's just kind of this, like... High schooler. This high school kind of weirdo that really doesn't have a whole lot of friends. And th I think that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, he's not too cool to be Peter Parker. That's my hot take on it. I think he does a great job of playing Peter Parker and Spider-Man. So, I think that... But still, with creativity, I think the dramatic take on a superhero film and the cinematic take on a superhero film um, alone should give it full points for that. Okay, so that's everything. So my final thoughts and overall score. So my overall score comes to 7.5 out of 10. So, which I think is uh, to be expected. Um, I think it was fun for the first time in the podcast so far, having uh, me go into something blind. Um, so I think that it, it's, I think it's difficult uh, almost to think of things that I would want to talk about that are blind for me. So I think it's, it's fun for us to be alternating picking what we talk about. Um, because of course I, I'm always going to gravitate towards something that I know. Um, so I'm glad that you picked this because I think, while I would have eventually watched it, I'm sure, uh, it was a good opportunity for me to finally bite the bullet and watch this and because I've been meaning to for years. Um, so I'm really glad that I did that. I think it was fun. It, it gave kind of a new um, feeling to me for doing the analysis and, and thinking critically on something that I have no prior experience or bias on. So I think 
honestly, this might be my most honest score because I have no like memory associated to it or bias or nostalgia or something like that. So, you know, obviously my, I'm not changing any of my previous scores, but I think because of the blindness of it, I, I have to look at this and be like, I think this is probably my most honest score so far, um, which I think is cool to note. But um, yeah, other than that, uh, seven and a half out of 10. All right. I, you know, not surprisingly, uh, my score is a little higher, but I did give it a nine out of 10. Wow. So I think this is one of my highest scored uh, uh, rankings out of all the the media we've done so far. That I think this tied with your Twilight Princess and Lion King. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that just overall, um, as a film, uh, as a as a standalone film, on the in the quality of a film, you know, regardless of content, but then also its take on a very beloved and character that is very special to a lot of people. Um, I think that this film does a great job at that. Um, personally, I think this is one of my favorite uh, superhero films to exist. I think that it's just overall just high quality and does a really good job. Um, and for me, personally, I think characters really carry the story. And I think this is one of the few comic book films where it's very, very character driven. Um, the characters aren't these flat cardboard cutout comic book characters that we don't really care a lot about. We know their internal motivations. We know their, the world that they're in and their relationships with each other is very strong. Um, in addition to a plot that I think is pretty engaging. So nine out of 10 for me, it's not really a surprise because I do love this movie. Um, I know for years you've told me like how much you want me to watch it. So I'm yeah. glad we finally did. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right. Are you ready to move into lightning round? Yes, I am. Okay. Lightning round. Okay, so this is kind of a two-part question. So of Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, and Tom Holland, which one is your favorite Peter Parker and which one is your favorite Spider-Man? So it's this is going to be slightly skewed because I haven't watched the Maguire films in 15 plus years, maybe. Um, so I would, right now, my answer would be Tom Holland for favorite Peter Parker and Andrew Garfield for favorite Spider-Man. Oh, I'm impressed. Yeah. I'm impressed. Yeah. What about you? I would say Andrew Garfield for both. For both. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not yeah. surprised. <laughs> so that's that's just my favorite. I think uh-huh. I think Tom Holland and Tobey Maguire do a great job at their own iterations of it. Right. I have no shade to that. And I know a lot of people, Tobey Maguire is their Spider-Man because mm-hmm. that's the one they grew up with. Mm-hmm. And I think it's neat that now Tom Holland is, is the Spider-Man of kind of a new generation. And there are people that are going to love him the most because they grew up with him. So, but I think right. Andrew Garfield should get more love even because he's kind of in the middle of this mm-hmm. too. Um. All right, next question. Which Spidey suit design is your favorite? Because they're very different. All three... Can I Google them real quick? Yeah, yeah, do it. All three of them are very, very different. And I think you mentioned this, is that the color palette is different and the, you know, the style is pretty different too. And you can include in your decision the fact that Tom Holland's Spidey suit has a lot more kind of gadgets integrated into it. And so I'm I'm allowing you to consider that into your your opinion as well. I think I'm gonna say Toby Maguire's. Really? Yeah, it feels very classic, mm-hmm. which I I like. Um, I think it was. I just I don't know. I really like kind of the side panels that his suit has, and it goes down the side of his arm. Um, I think that's really cool. It kind of almost gives like a slimming effect uh, to the suit. I. I yeah, I don't. I think I would say 
yeah, I think I'm going to go with Tobey Maguire's. I do like the other suits for, you know, their iterations, but um, I really like kind of the classic feel of the Tobey Maguire suit. Yeah, I do think it has the most, um, not generic in a negative way, but it really has the most generic look to it. It's not over-exaggerated on one aspect or the other. Right. Um, I think I, I, you know, of course I'm biased and people are going to think I'm just just an Andrew Garfield stand, but I do you like... Are, though. Well, sort of. <laughs> I do really... I, I think the thing I like the most about Andrew Garfield's spider suit is the spider on the back of the suit. I really like that design. I like that it's elo- an elongated spider. One thing I don't like about Tom Holland's suit is that the spider emblem on his chest is so tiny. Like, I just... And it's more of and that... And his suit is brighter than it's, the And others. it's kind of that cartoony-looking spider on the front of his suit. I, I'm just... I like the... The character design in the Ultimate Spider-Man comics is one of my favorites. And so because of that, Andrew Garfield's suit is closest to that. But I do have to say, I really like the Into the Spider-Verse version, Miles Morales suit. Okay, I still have not seen that. Yeah, it's excellent. We should watch that next. But I really like the Black Spider-Man suit. I think it's a great iteration and that animation style in that movie is really good. So I think that would be a close second. Would be... um, the the Miles Morales suit design. Okay. All right. Favorite female lead, Mary Jane, Gwen, Stacy, or MJ? I would say Gwen, obviously. Uh, hot take, I actually don't really like MJ that much. Yeah, Zendaya? You're not a fan? Uh, I like Zendaya, like, as an actress. I think MJ tries really hard. MJ feels like she's trying to be April from Parks and Rec and she doesn't fit super well in like the context of the films. That's just my personal opinion. I don't necessarily dislike her, but I don't like her. She's just, I'm very indifferent, I guess, to MJ. And Mary Jane is fine. I feel like she's a little flat. She's just kind of like, you know, the Spider-Man love interest that you just kind of come to expect. So I think Gwen is the most interesting of the three. Yeah. I would agree. I would also say Gwen. And I think one of the things I like a lot about her is that she's the probably the most contributory to the plot. Mm. So I think that makes her high on my list too. Okay. All right. Favorite scene or shot in the movie? Um, I think it's going to be the one near the beginning that I mentioned earlier when he's in the attic and the light's coming through and he leans down into the light. It's just such a beautiful shot. I think I would say that one. That was my answer too. Was it? Yes. Uh, yes. That was my answer too. I also really like the scene where he makes the web in the sewer just because it's so unique to mm-hmm. Spider-Man overall. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Which Spider-Man or other Marvel villain would you like to see team up with the lizard? So if if you had Andrew Garfield, Spider-Man, or really any Spider-Man, but if you had the lizard and he could have another villain with him, which villain would you like to see kind of team up with him? So Dr. Connors is very um, smart and methodical. I would want to see him with somebody who was very um, clever and trickstery. So I would say Loki. Ooh, that's a Wouldn't good... would that be an interesting yes. pairing? Yes, that would be a really good pairing. Um, I think I would like to see an X-Men villain Mm. with the lizard. 
So I know Magneto is kind of like the big X-Men villain, but I almost feel like, yeah, I feel like I would say Magneto. I think that that would be a really interesting, because Magneto's, um, his objective is really similar to the lizard. So I feel like it would almost be like a dangerous duo teaming up because Magneto's whole thing is kind of like there's mutants are superior to the human race. And mm-hmm. so then you have that same concept that the lizard has is like, you know, in, in this film particularly, he's kind of like, we can perfect the human race with this scientific technology. So, right. yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Which of the MCU Avengers would be the best teammate to this Spider-Man? So Captain America, Thor, Iron Man, Hulk, Hawkeye, and Black Widow. So I'm just going to go with the first thing my gut says, Uh which is this version of Spider-Man. He's very tall. He's very lean. So um, he's naturally lighter on his feet, not using flies or anything like that. But so I would want to counteract that. With the big bulk strength of the Hulk. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I think that's that's fair. I think I would almost say Hawkeye because I feel like this Spider-Man is really... I think that they would, they're almost... Their similarities would make them good teammates. Like personality similarities? Yeah, and okay. personality... Well, and skill set similarities. So, okay. like, Hawkeye has this, you know, his bow and arrow, that kind of ranged attack. And I think that Spider-Man with his agility and then his web shooters as well would kind of, they, they would complement each other very well. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think Thor would be really entertaining to watch with this Spider-Man though, I think. Yeah. Okay. So last question. At the end of the film, Peter has made a promise to Captain Stacy and you have not seen this, the sequel. I have not seen the sequel. So this is kind of an interesting question for you. Um, Peter makes a promise to keep Gwen, like to stay away from Gwen, to yeah. keep her out of harm's way, basically. Yeah. And he makes that promise to Captain Stacy. And at the end of the film, he is keeping that promise, but he insinuates that he's probably not going to. So my question is, should Peter keep his promise? So my brain says yes and my emotions say no. <laughs> Very conflicted. Because obviously they're great together and I like seeing them on screen together and I want to see more of that selfishly. Um, but do I understand that for the safety he should? Yes. So I think if I was 10 years younger, I'd be like, no, absolutely not. But now I'm kind of like, I really get it and he probably should. Yeah. So I'm I'm conflicted. Yeah. Well, I've seen the second movie, so I'm not going to answer this question. Okay. So, because because I don't want my answer to spoil your expectations of the next film. Okay. So, but I That's fair. I wanted to ask you that question. Okay. So. All righty. Well, thank you for joining us on this episode. We look forward to having you back next time. You can follow us on our social media as always at Lion and Mouse Podcast on Instagram and Lion and Mouse Pod on Twitter. You can also find us on our website, lionandmousepodcast.com. On our website, we have our rules of engagement, scoring sheets you can do yourself, all kinds of fun stuff, content links to the things that we featured in this and previous episodes. Please 
Also, give us a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. It really helps us a lot. That would be awesome. Yep. And then we also have a suggestion box on our website where you can either shoot us an email or fill out the form. Give us an idea of what you'd like to hear next. Thank you guys so much for listening. It means a whole lot to us just to have you engaging with us. If you have any suggestions, we're ready to listen to you guys. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will catch you guys in the next one.